Hello and welcome to Beyond Business with Wärtsilä, a podcast series that goes above the realms of strategy and operations and seeks to find solutions to our global problems. I'm your host Atte Palomäki, and on a regular basis I'll be talking to experts in their field about how we can work together to make a real difference. The idea behind each episode is to look beyond the scope of profit and margins and to really discover how businesses, thought leaders and experts can rally together and use their experience, intelligence, forethought and honesty to facilitate true and tangible change. This time I am joined by Petteri Taalas, Secretary General of the World Meteorological Organization, to discuss a fundamental topic touching us all, the changing climate and the question, how much time do we have left? Petteri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Petteri, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has called the current trend of global warming code red for humanity. Sounds pretty grave. As an expert with a wide perspective, how severe do you find the situation? We have uh, started seeing growing amount of disasters like flooding, drought, uh, heat waves, uh, most intense tropical storms and uh, and so forth, and also forest fires. And uh, it's clear that uh, we should start acting now if we want to prevent the most negative impacts of climate change later this century. A layman might very well wonder why there's so much concern about not being able to stop global temperature rising by 1.5 degrees, but perhaps going up to 2 degrees or above that. Can you as a scientist explain the significance of a 1.5 degree world to a 2 degree world? Yeah, that's a good question. And and these uh, differences sound uh, marginal, but in real atmosphere, they are big uh, There are, there's a big difference between 1.5 and 2 degrees. Uh, the higher the numbers are going to be in, in warming, the more we will see extreme weather events, uh, the more we will see melting of glaciers, uh, more enhanced uh, sea level rise and these extremes, uh, flooding, drought, uh, heat waves, uh, and uh, also the amount of most intense uh, tropical storms, uh, cyclones, hurricanes, and uh, typhoons. It has been demonstrated that uh, 1.5 would be the best uh, for the welfare of mankind and uh, and also biosphere. In biosphere, for example, since uh, oceans serve as a sink of uh, carbon dioxide, the more carbon dioxide we inject uh, to the seawater, the more damage there will be for the sea ecosystems. And, uh, for example, there would be a major loss of coral reefs uh, worldwide if we would... uh, led the warming to reach two degrees instead of 1.5. Greenhouse emissions, they come from so many different ends. And one of the main ones is the energy sector. In my lifetime and your lifetime, the world population, it has more than doubled. And with that, the need for power. Now, this population growth, it still continues. And with that, there's even more demand for energy. So how do you see the likelihood of really reaching this net zero and stopping the greenhouse emissions when there is such a strong trend going on? So there are two main sectors where we are using fossil energy and uh, where where most of the emissions are coming from. Uh, Number one is uh, power production, as you said. Number two is transport. And and then number three is industry. And for especially for power production and uh, for transport sector, we have uh, climate-friendly solutions available and their prices are getting lower. And when it comes to population growth, that's also part of the problem. And that means that we are going to see 
more victims of climate change, but we are also going to see more consumers of all the goods and also consumers of energy, the people who are producing emissions. But the good news is that in power sector, we have been able to create financially attractive renewable energy solutions, especially solar energy, wind energy in some parts of the world also, also hydropower and also nuclear energy is one of the climate-friendly solutions, although its price may not be the most attractive, especially in developed countries. Talking about the price of these solutions, as you said, that in the poorest countries where they really lack electricity, that being a basic ingredient of the quality of life, they need to grow at pace and uh, they don't have all of these advanced technologies available. So how do you see this dilemma unfolding? How can they create the energy needed and still commit to curbing climate change? Yeah, so one of the attractive uh, solutions is uh, solar energy, especially at the low latitude uh, areas. Uh, That's the most profitable one. And the prices of uh, solar technology, they have been dropping dramatically during the past uh, 10 or 20 years, and you don't need very advanced uh, networks for using solar energy. And of course, wind energy is also one one option. There you need uh, more uh, investments, and uh, typically you also need uh, more investments in the networks as compared to the solar energy. And also these biofuels uh, and waste-based solutions are maybe one of the ways to to provide energy for these energy, energy sparse areas worldwide. The challenge with wind and solar, of course, is their intermittency. The sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. For 24-7 power in the grid, some type of balancing power or storage is needed. But some electricity, of course, is better than none. That's for sure move in the right direction. And and this storage is, of course, a challenge in some countries. uh, Also, hydropower can be used as a a balancing source of energy and uh, in some countries, uh, nuclear energy. And, and then we have also access to biofuels, which is uh, one one part of the solution. But but the, finally, I would like to say that uh, you need a set of uh, sources of energy to be successful in climate uh, mitigation. The Finnish company Neste has started uh, a provision of uh, uh, biodiesel, uh, and uh, and that's based on use of uh, waste and some some biomaterials, which is uh, one. An option, and, and there's lots of uh, development uh, going on uh, when it comes to hydrogen uh, solutions. And hydrogen, you, you could produce as hydrogen by using renewable energy, and then that could be used as a fuel in the future. From the point of view of the World Meteorological Organization, how would you map out the path? What do you believe are the critical actions needed to turn the trend to enable a more positive future? So we have to tackle uh, especially our uh, use of uh, fossil energy. That means coal, oil and and natural gas. uh, And we should uh, convert our energy systems to become based on renewable energy and nuclear energy. We should convert our uh, transport system uh, to become also carbon-free. That means uh, we should use much more electric vehicles, Uh, We should use more uh, public transportation based on electricity, uh, biking, walking. And in the future, we would also see uh, solutions based on on, on, on hydrogen economy. And uh, and in industry, we should get rid of uh, processes which are based on fossil energy. Those are, for example, production of steel, 
and concrete. In terms of all of these actions, what is the role of the WMO? How can you influence this change? So WMO is a scientific and technical organization, and we are providing uh, scientific reports on the current status of uh, climate, current status of uh, water resources, and uh, what may happen in the future. Then we are the host organization of uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is uh, producing major scientific reports uh, every seven years and uh, And the most recent report has been published in 2021, and the remaining parts will be published in 2022. And uh, there we are summarizing all of the scientific know-how. Then we play also a role in climate adaptation. Besides climate mitigation, there's a need to pay attention to climate adaptation. And, and one powerful way to adapt to climate change is to invest in early warning services, uh, We can forecast, uh, for example, drought and flooding season uh, at the low latitudes uh, one to three months ahead. Uh, and uh, then we can forecast uh, high impact weather events like uh, storms uh, uh, one week ahead. And, uh, and, and about half of our members don't have uh, proper early warning services. And that's why uh, these, uh, these growing amount of disasters is having more Uh, negative impacts on, at the country level, meaning more casualties and uh, more economic losses. So we are we are also enhancing uh, the early warning service uh, capabilities of uh, of our member countries. In the big picture, policymakers set the rules and regulations, provide targets. But what role should the businesses and the private sector play here? Yeah, I, I fully agree that uh, first this uh, frame has to be set by by policymakers, uh, uh, by governments, and uh, players like the European Union. And once those are set, uh, uh, the, the, the financing for these new solutions has to come from businesses and uh, from, from consumers. And uh, luckily, businesses are more and more interested in being part of the solution instead of uh, being part of the problem. And, uh, and also the mood among citizens worldwide uh, is such that they, they are eager to eager to apply these uh, climate-friendly solutions. Uh, but of course, the, the prices uh, have to be attractive and, uh, and, and also the investment uh, scenario for the coming decades has to be attractive for the, for the businesses. And uh, this is to a certain degree already ha- happening, but, uh, but we should speed up uh, this, uh, this development. From your vantage point, do you see some encouraging market-based mechanisms emerging that can further speed up this process? So, for example, European Union has been applying uh, policies which has already started uh, enhancing the development in such a way that uh, these fossil-based uh, solutions are becoming more and more expensive and, uh, and these climate-friendly ones are becoming more attractive. So this is, this is one example. Of course, we should uh, see global action and, uh, and, and there are discussions going on also in other countries like USA And even in China, uh, they're considering uh, to, to uh, support uh, this kind of cons- conversion. But uh, in all cases, we have to we have to speed up uh, this uh, this evolution. And how about the individuals, us as people? How much can our everyday choices impact climate action? Uh, that's a good question. And uh, from my perspective, uh, there are three or four areas where we could uh, have an impact. Uh, 
Uh, one is uh, our means of transportation. If we would use uh, much more electric vehicle, uh, biofuel-based vehicles, uh, uh, biking, walking, and, and also uh, electric, electricity-based uh, public uh, transportation. That's one, one important area. Then uh, second uh, area is uh, housing, especially in areas where you have to either uh, heat or, or cool your facilities. Uh, you could use uh, climate-friendly solutions to heat or cool, cool your facilities. Uh, and uh, then in case of diet, uh, we could uh, slightly reduce our consumption of red meat uh, because we have to feed the cattle and, and, and this we, we are using more than 70% of the global global farmland for feeding cattle and, uh, and and this is not very smart so we could reduce the use of uh, red meat a bit and and finally uh, overall consumption is uh, is a question and especially if you buy goods which are produced by using fossil based uh, energy that's not very climate friendly way of uh, behaving as you mentioned earlier despite all of the serious warnings you know the climate it's still warming and all of the actions taken they don't amount to so much do you sense that there is some sense of suffering from climate change fatigue uh, that's a good question uh, actually we were really afraid uh, that uh, this uh, recent pandemic uh, would have been shadowing uh, interest to, to mitigate uh, climate change and, uh, and and luckily even during this pandemic uh, we have heard the positive statements uh, coming from several uh, governments and several heads of uh, state uh, like uh, USA, uh, European Union, China, even fossil-based uh, countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia and, uh, and also South, uh, South Africa. At the moment, we have uh, 63% of uh, countries who have uh, 63% of the global emissions, which are at least at the political level, aiming at becoming carbon neutral by 2050 or 2060. And the key issue is that we have to get uh, large masses of people behind uh, these uh, these actions. So so it's a it's a challenge to to find uh, such uh, solutions uh, that uh, ordinary people are buying. And I'm quite uh, confident that the world is uh, changing. But if we want to reach the low limit of Paris Agreement, uh, we should speed up our action and uh, and and there would be a need for action already during this uh, decade we cannot wait for several decades to start acting we have to have to do it uh, already during the coming years well you partially actually answered my final question where i'd like to put you on the spot so as a climate scientist how close are we now to the tipping point how long do we have left so these tipping points uh, some of them are a little bit risk analysis uh, They are not based on, on on climate modeling, which is our basic tool for estimating what what may happen in the future. So some of them are just a risk analysis, uh, and uh, and and there's not such a tipping point that there would be no return. But it's good to keep in mind that if we if we let the carbon dioxide concentration to become uh, high, if we would use, for example, all of the known fossil fuel resources. Uh, It would take uh, even thousands of years to return back to the kind of normal, normal concentration of carbon dioxide. So that's why there's urgency to act uh, during the coming coming decades because there's no return once we once once the carbon dioxide uh, concentration would be high. But personally, I'm optimistic that we are able to to limit this warming. And uh, the good news from the 
most recent IPCC report was that uh, this earlier worst case scenario wasn't uh, very likely anymore. So, so, so we have started acting, but, uh, but we should uh, enhance the level of ambition. Petteri, many thanks for your time and expert views. This has truly been captivating, to say the least. You are most welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to address you. Dear listeners, I hope you have enjoyed our conversation. Please do subscribe to our podcast on your platform and stay tuned for more interviews and discussions on globally relevant topics. I've been your host, Atte Palomäki, and today we went beyond business.